Hello, I'm Jeff Gill, and welcome to Navigating Freedom in Federal Retirement. Have you ever felt overwhelmed by the thought of retirement? If you're a federal employee navigating the complexities of policies, benefits, and financial planning can seem daunting. Here at Navigating Freedom in Federal Retirement, we're all about breaking it down, simplifying the complex, and making retirement planning not only accessible, but truly exciting. Join me and a hand-picked panel of experts as we dive into the topics ranging from policy insights to lifestyle changes. Every episode is crafted to provide actionable advice, insights, and stories tailored for federal employees like you. Whether you're a decade away from the farewell party or just a few years shy of your retirement goals, we've got your back. So if you're looking to equip yourself for a brighter, more informed retirement, hit the subscribe button, share with your colleagues, and let's embark on this journey together. Welcome to Navigating Freedom in Federal Retirement, the beacon for federal employees navigating the complex waters of retirement planning. We recognize your unique challenges, deciphering intricate policies and optimizing your benefits. Your host is Jeff Gill, a seasoned financial wealth advisor committed to demystifying this journey for you. Our strength, a team of renowned specialists, policy experts, financial strategists, healthcare consultants, and more. Each episode aims to transform confusion into clarity, offering actionable insights and strategies. Federal employees, it's time to turn apprehension into action. The path to a confident retirement starts here. Let's dive in. Welcome to the show today. My guest today is Joe Mastriano. Joe, also known as the killer IRS CPA, had a a deep-rooted passion for aiding others. Hailing from New York City during the tumultuous 60s and 70s, he honed his survival skills that later became invaluable navigating interactions with the IRS. After graduating with honors in both chemical engineering and accounting from prestigious New York institutions, Joe pursued multiple certifications, including that of a master NLP practitioner. This enables him to excel in understanding and managing interpersonal relationships. For over four decades, Joe's commitment to ensuring fairness and understanding in the realm of taxation has been unwavering. He possesses inside knowledge from his experience since 1980. He uses this wisdom to empower individuals to address their IRS concerns. Above all, Joe believes in turning individuals from victims to victors, leveraging his extensive experience, providing aid to anyone needing assistance with tax matters. Well, Joe, welcome to the show today. I'm glad to be here. Great, great. Tell me about this, uh, the IRS killer CPA. How did you get that term? That Actually, I made that up many years ago. I wanted people to remember me. A lot of people have trouble pronouncing my last name. I actually took a Dale Carnegie course where they had us... Um, help people. So I would tell people, think of a mast on a tree. I mean, a a mast on a ship, a tree and a piano. And so you have mast tree, anno, and (laughs) that didn't seem to work. So I said, why not the killer IRS CPA? And I actually trademarked that. The words killer IRS is my official U.S. trademark. 
Oh, excellent. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Branding, branding works. yourself. So, yeah, exactly. exactly. It definitely <laughs> brings a smile to your face, right? Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll jump right into some of the questions. I know our listeners are, are interested to, to hear what you got to say. So, um, Joe, with retirement planning, uh, yes. it, it can be a complex stage in, in terms of, you know, how do the tax considerations change as one approaches retirement? And what are some of the common mistakes that people make? It's interesting. Um, I became a certified financial planner in the mid 80s. In fact, my CFP license, I don't know if you can see it, is right there on, on the bottom. And I used to do needs analysis because it does get complicated. Some people take early retirement. They want to be part of certain insurance investments and they want to like ladder uh, payments every few years when their kids hit college age. And we used to try to plan that. And then in retirement, they would say, okay, they have social security. Well, what the, what are your investments producing and what are your living expenses? And of course it never comes out the way you try to figure it out. Um, and I gave up doing that and went more heavily into IRS representation. I set up my own SEP, my own simplified employee pension. And that's what I had used. I, I don't contribute to it a anymore. Um, I have some clients that do 401ks and they have these plan administration fees each year. And then they're stuck with the products that these people set up. And if you know what you're doing and you know the costs involved, then it's a good thing to do. But not, you know, trying to fit yourself into some ready-made thing doesn't work if it's not appropriate for you. Your smaller self-employed people can do their own SEPs and you don't have plan fees. And you could say, like, I self-direct mine. I, I trade stocks in my SEP. And um, not heavily, but but I, I and you can hold real estate, too. There's you got to get familiar, you know, with with the rules. Um, ask me more. I, I can go on and on about no. this, but I don't do that now. Um, it's kind of frustrating. And with COVID and everything that happened, a lot of people now are struggling and they're happy to pay less tax and get squared away with the IRS because they're making a very big power move to audit everybody they can and try to get as much money as they can from taxpayers. And I could tell you horror stories with collections and with auditors. In fact, I did a video on my YouTube channel today on um, how the IRS disallows your deductions in audits, because most people think if they just have their receipts and cancel checks that everything's OK. And it's not. There's there's other considerations involved. And when people do tax returns, they don't tell their clients usually what the IRS is going to require to defend the items on the returns. So right. I get emails and calls from people and they're going through an audit 
And some of them are attorneys and I've represented CPAs as well because they're not trained in what the IRS needs for evidence. And they're very surprised. I'm thinking of uh, Nicolas Cage, the actor who uh, a while back threw some big party and for the producers so he can get his next show. I think it was when he did, um, I'll think of the movie. And even his high-priced attorneys couldn't get him to keep the deduction uh, because the movies he was doing didn't justify the amount of expense for the big party that he threw. I've had a client that had a, a private plane and he was a real estate agent and he flew up this mountain because it would take 12 hours to drive. So he did it to save money, but his income couldn't justify the level of the expense. So there's a lot more to justifying your expenses to the IRS than just your receipts and proof of payment. Very good. Very good. Well, Joe, given your vast experience, how do you help clients transition from working income to retirement income while ensuring that they uh, get the most out of their tax deductions? Well, I leave the income up to them. If I was, you know, if I knew the best way to make money, I could, you know, recommend different ways to, but most people, I mean, I have some people that have agencies, they're like state farm agents or farmers or different insurance or whatever. Um, they could sell their book of business. They're, you know, they have that usually covered. As far as taxes are concerned, I tend to be pretty old school in this and pull an extended transcript to make sure their returns are filed to make sure we handle any liabilities that exist. I know people want to believe that there's some magic thing. There's, there's a company, I, I won't give their name. I don't want to advertise for them, but they're trying to get all these CPAs to buy their expensive software. And they're telling us we can make a lot more money if we do tax planning for people. Well, most of tax planning is really setting up the correct retirement account. And again, it goes back to that needs analysis, making sure you match the best you can with what people's expectations are for income and expenses. See, I've always been a firm believer, let the taxes fall where they fall. Don't plan your life to save taxes. And, and I've come across people who have done that. And I, I don't agree that you should do like there are people that got into real estate because their accountant told them, oh, you're going to get all these deductions if you buy a couple of houses and you rent them out. Well, unless you want to be in the rental business, I don't recommend people do that. There's so much you have to do with maintenance and getting people. And unless you're buying at the bottom of an upswing of a market that you're going to have capital appreciation, I wouldn't assume those things are going to happen. I've had clients who were very successful, and I've had other clients that bought at the top of the market and realized it was a big headache for mm -hmm. them. I remember when tax shelters came out, 
seven to one, you put up 10 grand, you get a $70,000 deduction. Well, they busted a lot of people, the IRS, because there wasn't, let me say this, there wasn't an economic benefit. When you look at the tax law and you don't get to interpret it on your own, I've had some calls from CPAs that wanted me to represent them because they would say, hey, would you read this code? How do you interpret it? And I would tell them that, yes, grammatically, it sounds like you're saying, but I know the IRS doesn't look at it that way. It's just that their writers weren't that proficient in the English language that they interpret this rule the other way. And unless you want to spend a lot of money going to court to fight it, you don't get to interpret the rules the way you read it. It's the way the IRS interprets it. Right, right. And that's a very critical concept for people to learn. Most, I mean, I've had um, people on LinkedIn that claim this one woman, she claims to make all this money helping people um, reduce their tax liability. And when I asked her for specifics and told her I would pay her for it, she didn't want to tell me. And I've always, yeah, I've always wanted to challenge people. I had an ex-employee that was selling some combination retirement insurance package, and he was trying to tell me that it created these tax deductions. And when I looked it up, it was tax deferment not forgiveness, the way he was trying to sell it. So you've got to be careful. Um, If it sounds too good to be true, it it usually is. Right, Uh, right. Let me ask you, Joe. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, when it comes to retirement accounts like uh, 401ks, IRAs, Roth IRAs, uh, what guidance do you offer, you know, to those looking to optimize uh, their withdrawals for tax purposes? that big switch to the Roth IRA window is closed now. They, they had that recently. I don't really do those type of recommendations, mm-hmm. to tell you the truth. Um, okay. what, I use, what I've done for clients is they send me their people. We'll have meetings, and the plan administrator will be there. The client will be there. And I'll just oversee and make sure that nobody gets lied to and things happen smooth, more, more smoothly um, right. rather than me being the one to make the recommendation. Again, I'm old school. If you could do a simple SEP and if you have employees that are under three years, I don't even know if they changed the law, you can just pay yourself. And if mm-hmm. you have employees that have been with you for more than three years, you have to give them the same percentage of their salary as a contribution. So I've always tried to see if a SEP was appropriate. And if not, then I'm going to, there's so many rules. 401ks have gotten so complicated that I just oversee, and I've only do a handful a year of those because okay. most of my clients care more about protecting themselves in an audit and making sure the IRS isn't after them for anything. Right. Well, you mentioned uh, earlier before the show that about audit proofing, you know, yes. and how can a person audit proof their, their tax returns uh, for their benefit to assure that they don't get audited in the, in the future? Right. 
Well, nobody is 100% assured because the IRS has what they call a DIF score, discriminant income function, and they weigh different areas on the return. Like if you have a lot of contributions, uh, like church contributions, charitable contributions in relation to your salary, that can add points to the DIF score. And if it's high enough, they'll pull it for audit, and then they have the group decides, do they want to throw it back or do they want to audit you? Um, failing the matching program can cause an audit. The IRS has a wage and income transcript for each year, which is a list of third-party payer documents, W-2s, 1099s for self-employed, uh, K-1s if you're a partner in a partnership. You could have a K-1 from a stock investment because you bought a stock that was set up as a partnership. Um, um, interest on, on savings accounts, uh, retirement accounts, 1099Bs. And if you examine the wage and income transcript and report all the items separately on the return, then you won't fail the matching program because it'll match up to what they have. I do an unbelievable amount of audits from people that don't match it. And the extent of the audit is, okay, this is what the IRS has. This is what you put on the return. Do you agree with them? Yes. Do you agree? Yes. Do you agree? No, because they didn't deduct my cost. They gave you the gross proceeds of stock sales but they didn't allow you to subtract your cost basis against that because you never put it on the return. So the right. scope of the audit is getting them to subtract the cost basis. All right. Very good. Yeah. Well, Joe, to switch topics there, um, I, it's interesting to me, but uh, when it comes to choosing between different entity types, such as yes. sub S corporations, LLCs or partnerships, for retirees who might still be involved in passive income ventures or um, for, for uh, what, are, what are primary considerations that they need to look at? Well, that gets very complicated. There's rules on passive. There's the 750 hour test. Uh, I've appealed some of those and they tend to have their own opinion. I'll give you an example. Um, I had a client that bought four shell houses. When he fixed them up, they were going to be worth a million to two each. So his wife took the kids, put them in the car. She would stop by um, Home Depot and other places for supplies. She'd go to the property, sit the kids down to play while she did construction work. And the husband only did it on weekends. And they tried to say, well, the husband has a full-time job and she has to watch the kids. So we think everything is phony. So it, it, it's very important that if that in, in certain cases, you have to take photos of what you do. That, that's the real estate portion because they don't believe the work in process and they think you're buying stuff and fixing up your own house with it. And, and putting it into the business. Now, when it comes to, you know, most people now do LLCs. I have attorney clients that have said it's harder for them to bypass the corporate structure 
and it gives you certain legal rights being an LLC. An LLC is a legal liability company, not corporation, legal liability company. And as a legal liability company, you can file an 1120, a regular C corporation. You can file a sub S election and be a sub chapter S corporation. Or if you have partners, your LLC can file a 1065 partnership return. So in most cases, forming an LLC first is a good idea. And then you have to decide the entity structure based on how you're doing business and the needs of the partners and what they're contributing and whether they're going to be partners that have financial say or are they just going to be silent partners. All those decisions have to be made to determine the structure. Now, there are some people that think that you get extra deductions and you really don't. So people have to be careful about that. You don't form a subchapter S because you're going to pay yourself a little bit of salary and the rest of the money you're going to take is a distribution on the K-1 and you're going to bypass the self-employment tax. Let me explain that. When you have a partnership, okay, a 1065 return, and you take money, there's a place on there that says whether it's a, a excess distribution that's going to be subject to the social security, the self-employment tax, and which part is going to be a distribution. You don't have that. They left that off of the subchapter S return. So I've even seen videos from some attorneys that say, oh, form a subchapter S because you can get out of paying the self-employment tax. But here's how the IRS looks at it. If you needed, let's say, $6,000 a month to cover your living expenses, and you took out more than that, they're going to treat what you took out for your living expenses as guaranteed income. That's the part on the partnership return that I didn't name a minute ago. It's called guaranteed payments to partners. Guaranteed payments are subject to self-employment tax. Okay. But with the sub S, if you try to make a, a, a big bulk of it as the K-1 distribution, and therefore you're not subject to self-employment tax, they're going to look at your little salary and say, no, you needed to take all this money to live on, period. And we're going to charge you self-employment tax on that amount of money. The good news is it hardly ever comes up. It, it really won't come up unless you're audited. Okay. In which case right. I could audit proof your right. return <laughs> and severely reduce it. <laughs> well, well, Joe, I know a lot of, lot of people who actually either live part of the year overseas or have yes. overseas income. How do their tax preparations differ from, uh, from retirees who, who do not uh, uh, venture overseas? It's interesting that you asked that because I have an ex-employee who went to law school not to become an attorney, but he studied foreign tax treaties. Uh, he's got one from China and England and something else. He lives in Thailand and he figured out that 
even if you're a U.S. citizen and you're living in Thailand, that if you take premature withdrawals from your retirement account, it's not taxable. And then he went out and found a loophole that it wouldn't even be taxable to Thailand. And he's in the middle of where actually he's going to get me involved, uh, but he's pretty bright himself. He's actually educating an IRS appeals person who didn't realize that, talked to their manager, and then got back to Thomas and told him, yeah, you're right. I didn't know that. So I strongly suggest there are companies like he works for and is part owner of a tax company in Thailand. And I strongly uh, suggest that if you're settling overseas and retiring overseas, that you get very knowledgeable about the treaty that country has with the U.S. Because what I just told you is not the norm. Most of my people that retire overseas wind up paying taxes to the IRS um, on their retirement money. Even if it's not a premature withdrawal, it still, you know, goes into taxable income. You're considered like a world world citizen, so you pay taxes. If you're a U.S. citizen, right, yeah. worldwide income, that that is correct, yeah. yes. Okay, yes. very good. Well, with, with the ever-evolving landscape of the tax laws, what are some of the recent changes that retirees uh, that are approaching uh, retirement should be aware of? I really don't know, to tell you the truth. I think, see, I always approach it from, your sources of income, and what you're attempting to put as deductions on the return. If you have a source of income, then the taxability of that income has a lot to do with the source of that income. Some income is subject to capital gains tax. Some income is treated as ordinary income. You know, so you got to look, look look at the source of income. Uh, again, I don't believe in tricks. I need to find out as time goes on um, how appeals is going to handle because um, he's taken on a whole bunch of people now, uh, U.S. citizens in Thailand, because mm-hmm. he found that difference in, in the treaty. But that that's all I have to say on that. I okay. don't. Yeah, that's not my area of expertise. All right, very good, Joe. In the event that um, a retiree faces an audit, how does your expertise in IRS representation help navigate that process? I respond. I know several auditors, um, possibly their managers, because I've been doing this since 1980 when I set up my CPA firm when I was 25. Mm -hmm. And... I understand what they accept for evidence. So it's critical that someone would come to me first because we want to put our best foot forward. So depending on what the item is, I want to make sure we meet all the tests. Sometimes I'll send people to people they paid money to to get notarized statements from them. If they don't have the proper invoices that outline, because some people do invoices and they don't outline what the items are that was purchased, which is very critical. Uh, Some of that has to do with 
uh, overseas uh, deduction when you change your, you know, U.S. citizen living abroad, that 2555 form. So, again, I'm, I'm going to make sure that the evidence is in order before I present it to the auditor. There's also other things. Uh, again, people's lack of knowledge will hurt them. Auditors like going to the uh, year before and the year after, and I could do things to kind of steer them away from doing that. Another thing is criminal investigations. They're told that if they have any idea that you're purposely not reporting income or doing something else that they consider criminal, to send you to criminal investigations. Now, I've talked them out of some cases before, but then I've had other cases where they said, Joe, we have evidence going back a number of years, and you should tell your client to hire a criminal attorney because there's nothing you can do that's going to get us to change our mind. So I've steered a lot of cases away from criminal, and that's another great benefit of me representing somebody in an order because what a lot of people think is not criminal can be criminal. Uh, give you an example. Uh, I, I had a client that got caught twice taking $200,000 cash going to his parents' house. I mean, this was a grown man around 45 years old and his mother was like in her sixties and he would hide cash in her house. And the auditor found out again, but he told me, he said, don't worry, um, tell your client I'm not uh, seeking, you know, criminal action. I just want him to pay the additional tax. And so right. we did. I had another client that ran a carnival and gambled a lot of money, like a couple of hundred thousand or something. And they were low income living in a trailer in the first place. So that, yeah. that was huge money to them. And I had to have him step out because his auditor was a guy who went to court for the IRS for evidence to help the criminal division put people away. And I made a deal with him that they would agree to the 75% negligence penalty. Uh, well, actually, it's a fraud penalty. The 20% is the negligence. And then he wouldn't turn them in. And that's how the audit wound up. Now, I'm going to do an offering compromise, and they're not going to have to pay anything because these people are, are poor. They don't even own the trailer that they live in. Right. Uh, so that's the other thing. Um, I've got a construction company that's about to sign uh, a million and a half liability, but the company doesn't have assets, and I'm going to liquidate them, which is one of my specialties, and they're not going to have to pay a dime. So if someone at my experience level is not representing you in an audit, not only can you risk the year before and the year after and any other things connected being audited, you also risk deductions not being allowed. You also risk going to criminal. And then you also risk not understanding your options all the way through the whole process and through collections and until the very end. Right, right. It's complicated. Well, it's involved. It's I can do it with one eye closed. And, <laughs> it sounds like it. it sounds I've been like doing it. it for so long. Right, but exactly. it, it's scary. It it can be scary. 
I think that's for everyone it is. So, well, Joe, yeah. lastly, given the, the that retirement can last decades for a couple, how do you help uh, clients with long-term tax planning to ensure that they maximize their savings throughout their golden years? Be honest with you, I, I wish that that's a, that's a pretty loaded question. I, I wish <laughs> I can do that. Um, I, you know, long-term tax planning, again, if they're involved in taxable transactions, then we can structure things so that the certain taxes are minimized. You know, you can push, um, you know, you can get capital gains treatment in certain areas. You can do 1031-like exchanges uh, for similar use property. So again, it, it depends on the involvement in the transactions of those individuals. I'm sorry to say, again, there's a lot of people on LinkedIn. People try to say, oh, we do tax planning and we'll help you save all these taxes. And and 99% of it is, is not true. They just found a loophole. Hmm, let's see, people don't want to pay for compliance. People want to pay for tax savings. There's an ex-IRS auditor that I got on her mailing list. And she sends me all this stuff about, oh, yeah, we could save you this. And I laugh because I want her clients who get audited. <laughs> okay. Because I don't believe in, and there was someone else very similar to her that got charged with criminal activity because she was an audit manager also and went public saying that you can do all this stuff. And again, just because you find something written in the code that you want to interpret a certain way doesn't mean that the IRS is interpreting it that way. And if you want to give yourself fifty hundred thousand dollar bills, like I have a client, I've had I've represented several tax practices before the IRS. And there's one just a few hours from from here that I went to the DOJ's office. Uh, sat there for three days as a witness. They never called me, but they sentenced him to a few years in, in jail um, for stuff he did prior to coming to me. And mm. he had advice from an attorney and, and they find these loopholes. And I'm telling you, unless there's precedent of the IRS having accepted it, then, then you're pretty much on your own. I mean, I, I do have one case. It's amazing uh, that I know personally. My friend's uh, brother, Mike, he actually slipped in under some provision where he didn't have to file his personal taxes. And he got a judge to rule in his favor. And a few years later, another judge ruled in his favor and to this day, for the last 15 years or so, he's the only one I know of that doesn't have to file personal taxes. But I'll tell you, he drove himself crazy. He aged real fast. He walks and talks code. Yeah, he, yeah. He, poor guy was a nice guy before. And I was like, well, Joe, do you know code section 145 <laughs> paragraph B? And, but he's the one that told me that, there's a way at the bank, if you sign the signature card, I forget right now how it is, like the bank, when you deposit money in a bank, it's not your money. 
It's your money, but they have discretion over it. And I've had a lot of bankers um, send money to the IRS on a levy when they shouldn't. Mm. And they're hiding behind that banking rule. I think it's without prejudice. If you mm. sign your signature card without prejudice, you have total 100% direction of the money. So um, it is beneficial to know the code totally inside and out. I'm a more practical person. I don't talk code. I deal with practical everyday, you know, type stuff. And I'm a firm believer in filing your taxes and paying your taxes based on income as it's defined under the code. And if you want to pay less taxes, you have to take whatever risk is associated with, you know, getting certain deductions. You know, it's not just free because you found, I love when people say, oh, my accountant found this really obscure law and now I don't have to pay taxes on all this money. And my answer is always, let me see the tax return because I, I want to know the details and they never produce it. Right, right. Well, Joe, I want to say it's been interesting having you here today. Even uh, well, you. Joe Mastiano, you're a pleasure to speak with. And I want to thank, thank you for being here. Um, you've been listening to Navigating Freedom in Federal Retirement. And we'll see you again next week for another episode. This concludes another episode of Navigating Freedom in Federal Retirement podcast. As federal employees, your retirement journey is unique. And we're here to guide you every step of the way. With host Jeff Gill and our lineup of experts, we aim to bring clarity to your path ahead. If you found value in today's conversation, please share it with a fellow federal employee. Remember to subscribe for continued insights. Until next time, here's to your informed and bright retirement future.